Hello and welcome to JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, Minister and Chaplain at JG Ministries, and I'm glad you joined us today for another episode. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 14, verse 1 of the book of Luke. Let's get into it. Last time we finished chapter 13 with two parables about faith. And now this time we are going to start to unpack chapter 14, beginning with parables with the teachings on urgent issues. Now, before we get into that, I do want to take a quick side note here and talk about the Jewish sects. Uh, we have the Pharisees, we have the Sadducees, we have the Essenes, and we have the Zealots. And I just want to go through real briefly here and kind of give a little description of each one of those so we have an understanding of the different groups. Uh, let's begin with the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, have their, their roots can be traced to the 2nd century B.C., to the Hasidim. And along with the Torah, they accepted as equally inspired and authoritative all material contained within the oral tradition. A second thing about the Pharisees was on free will and determination they held to a mediating view that made it impossible for either free will or the sovereignty of God to cancel out the other. A third thing about the Pharisees is that they accepted a rather developed hierarchy of angels and demons. They taught that there was a future for the dead. They believed in the immortality of the soul and in reward and retribution after death. They were champions of human equality. And lastly, I want to mention about them is the emphasis of their teaching was ethical rather than theological. Now, with regards to the Sadducees, they probably had their beginning during the Hussamian period, which was about 166 to, one, to 63 BC. Their demise occurred in AD 70 with the fall of Jerusalem. Now they denied that the oral law was authoritative and binding. They interpreted Mosaic law more literally than the Pharisees did. They were very exacting in Levitical purity, and they attributed all to free will. They argued there is neither resurrection of the dead nor a future life. They did reject a belief in angels and demons, and they also rejected the idea of a spiritual world. And only the books of Moses were canon for them for Scripture. Now we have the Unseens. Now they probably originated among the Hasidim along with the Pharisees from whom they were later separated. But they were a group of very strict and zealous Jews who took part with the Maccabeans in a revolt against the Syrians about 165 to 155 B.C. The unseen followed a strict observance of the purity laws of the Torah. They were notable for their communal ownership of property. 
They had a strong sense of mutual responsibility. Daily worship was an important feature along with a daily study of their sacred scriptures. Uh, solemn oaths of piety and obedience had to be taken. Sacrifices were offered on holy days during the sacred season. Marriage was not condemned in principle, but was avoided. And they attributed all that happened to fate. And finally, let's just say a few things about the zealots who originated during the reign of Herod the Great around 6 BC, and they ceased to exist in AD 73 at Masada. Now, they opposed payment of tribute for taxes to a pagan emperor, saying that allegiance was due only to God. They held a fierce loyalty to the Jewish traditions, and they were opposed to the use of the Greek language in Palestine. And one more thing about the zealots, they prophesied the coming of the time of salvation. That just gives us just a brief little glimpse into the four different groups that we see a lot in Scripture to kind of help us give us an understanding of who these people were and what they were about. Now we move in to chapter 4 where we have Jesus at a Pharisee's house, and he's going to heal a man with dropsy. Now, chapter 14 incorporates several elements. We have healing, we have conversations, and a parable. All ties together into this dinner table conversation. This conversation is going to revolve around the response and the behavior of dinner guests. And this leads to a discussion of the responses of the would-be followers of Jesus and to a discussion on the cost of discipleship. So let's go ahead and turn to our scriptures, verse 1 of chapter 14, and let's read the first six verses. Now as it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus, answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal the man on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not even pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer regarding these things. Let's stop right there and take a look at the first three verses. Now, since this is the fourth time Luke records a controversy over the Sabbath, it's obvious that this was a major issue between Jesus and the religious leaders. The host was one of the ruling Pharisees, possibly a member of the Sanhedrin. And Luke pictures the Pharisees as watchdogs of the faith as they waited for some theological flaw appearing in Jesus' teaching. The man who enters the scene was possibly planted there to test Jesus. And dropsy may have been popular, have been a uh, considered a popular curse for sins. And as in chapter 6, verse 9, we see that Jesus takes the initiative with a question designed to shift the burden of proof to the opposition. One Sabbath day, a ruler of the Pharisees invited the Lord to his house for a meal. 
It was not a sincere gesture of hospitality. Rather, it was an attempt by the religious leaders to find fault with the Son of God. Now, Jesus saw a certain man there who was afflicted with dropsy, and that is, it was a swelling that was caused by an accumulation of water in the tissues. Jesus reads the minds of his critics by asking them point blank whether it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. And in verses 4 to 6, we see that during the silence of the Pharisees and the experts in the law, Jesus met the man's need. His condition could have waited another day, but Jesus was concerned to establish a principle. Now, this may be why he dismissed the man without including him further in the conversations. Much as they would like to have said that it was not, they could not support their answer, and so they kept silent. Jesus therefore healed the man and let him go. To him, it was a work of mercy, and it was a work of divine love, and it never ceases its activities, even on the Sabbath. Then turning to the Jews, he reminded them that if one of their animals fell into a pit, they would certainly pull the animal out on the Sabbath day. It was in their own interest to do so, because the animal was worth money. In the case of a suffering fellow man, they didn't care. They would have condemned Jesus for helping him. And although they could not answer the reasoning of the Savior, we can be sure that they were all the more incensed at him. And Jesus turns to the Pharisees and draws them into his illustration, immediately stresses the urgency of meeting the need, a pointed reference back to the man with dropsy. The principal example in the case of a beast is fully accorded with the Old Testament and rabbinic law. In the face of this, the silence of Jesus' opponents was no longer by choice, but of necessity. They had to say nothing. Now, let us turn back to our scriptures and continue onward here with the parable of the ambitious guest with verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in down in the lowest place, so that when he, when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you get dinner or supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. As Jesus entered the Pharisee's house, he perhaps had seen the guests maneuvering for the best places around the table. They sought the positions of eminence and honor. The fact that he was a guest was speaking out in frankness and in righteousness. He warned them against this form of self-seeking. 
When they were invited to a meal, they should take the lower place rather than the higher place. When we seek a high place for ourselves, there's always the possible shame of being demoted. If we're truly humble before God, there is only one direction we can possibly move, and that is up. Jesus taught that it is better to be advanced to a place of honor than to grasp that place later have to relinquish it. He himself is the living example of self-renunciation. He humbled himself, and God exalted him. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled by God. And Jesus continued to take the initiative in verse 7. In his time, the guests at a formal dinner reclined on couches, several people on one couch leaning on their left elbows. The seating was according to the status of the person. We have the head of the table. That was a couch at one and other couches extending from it, and they faced each other like the arms of the U. The important places were those, of course, nearest the head couch position. If an important guest came late, someone might have to be displaced or moved to make room for this guest. Now, Jesus's practical advice illustrates the spiritual principle he stated in verse 11, in keeping with the Jewish custom of his day. Luke avoids direct reference to God by using the passive voice, though God is the one who does the humbling or the exalting at the final judgment. Now, in verse 12, let's look at 12, uh, verses 12 to 14 together here. The ruler of the Pharisees had undoubtedly invited the local ce celebrities to this meal. Jesus perceived this at once. He saw that the underprivileged people in the community were not included. He therefore took occasion to enunciate one of the great principles of Christianity, that we should love those who are unlovely or who are unloved and who cannot pay us. The usual way for people to act is to invite their friends, their relatives, their rich neighbors, always with the hope of being repaid in kind. It does not require divine life to act in this way, but it is positively supernatural to show kindness to the poor, to the maimed, to the lame, and to the blind. Now, God reserves a special reward for those who show charity to these classes of people. Although such guests cannot repent, yet God himself promises to reward at the resurrection of the just. This is also known in the scripture as the first resurrection and includes the resurrection of all true believers takes place at the rapture, and also we believe at the end of the tribulation period. That is, the first resurrection is not one single event, but it takes place in stages. And having addressed the Pharisees' guest, Jesus turns to his host and speaks words resembling those of chapter 6, verses 32 to 36. In view of one's ultimate reward from God, one should do good to those who cannot repay it, and without expecting a reward. And finally, also verse 13, it recalls Luke's report of Jesus' own concern for the poor and the oppressed. And with that, we are running out of time, but next time we'll pick this up here at verse 15, where we'll get into more of the parable of the great banquet and the parable of the excuses. So until next time, God bless you and keep living.
Christian Strong.